All right. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to dive in this morning. I'm excited to get into the Word of God. And we've been in this series for two weeks. And so far, we have seen that the gospel, which is the message about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we've seen that the gospel worked powerfully in the city of Philippi. In the Philippians, they experienced dramatic transformation as Paul came to their city, shared the gospel with them, and planted a church. They experienced dramatic transformation. And then after receiving the gospel, these Philippians, they didn't just like believe in Jesus and that's it. Like they became gospel partners with Paul in the city of Philippi. They helped build up the church there. They suffered alongside Paul. They gave to Paul's mission. They, they truly partnered and fought side by side with Paul for the gospel and they helped bring the kingdom to earth in the city of Philippi. So in the first, the first 11 verses, that's really all we've established is that Paul loved the Philippians a lot and they partnered with him in the gospel and we saw a dramatic transformation as Paul went to Philippi. And now we're gonna get into some more stuff here in verse 12. So this is week three of the series of Philippians. We're gonna be in Philippians 1, verse 12. Let's read it. It says, I want you to know, brothers. Okay, so Paul, again, he's writing to the church in Philippi. He's living somewhere else now. He's in prison in a different city, and this is what he's saying to him. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. And the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. And what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Okay, the sermon title this morning is Unstoppable Gospel. Unstoppable Gospel. Let's pray over it. Lord, uh, we love you. We praise you. I pray that this word would ring out this morning. I pray that this would not just be, be Father's Day as usual, but this would be a day in your presence and that you would move in this room. Holy Spirit, we are thankful for how you've moved already in this service, and we pray that you would continue to do so through the preaching of the word. God, we love you. In Jesus' name. All right, my son, our son Abram, he loves Pixar. He loves it. Specifically, he loves cars, right? He knows like a couple words. One of them's cars. One of them's Buzz, right? He loves Toy Story. And earlier this spring, he really got into Toy Story. It was like getting obsessive. And I really wanted him to have the same kind of Toy Story toys that I had as a kid. I'm like, he's got to have the same ones I had. I think they're like Burger King Happy Meal toys. Not Happy Meal, but Burger King Kids Meal toys. And his Nana and Papa, being the Nana and Papa that they are, who give our kids everything they want, they, they made sure to find those toys online. I don't know how you find a Burger King toy from 1996 online, but they found it. And we got them both a Buzz, or they got them both a Buzz and a Woody. Let's show a picture of Abram and our family pictures with Buzz and Woody. Look at that. Just holding Buzz and Woody. You know, they are part of the family. But the sad thing is he played with Buzz for like, it felt like five minutes, and then his head twisted around. Okay, so look, we got a zoom up picture of Buzz. Okay, so his head twisted. I've been trying to get it back to turn back around, but it, it won't. It's stuck there. So it's like the exorcist buzz, right? It's, it's, it's haunted buzz. And that buzz freaks me out. If you, if you walk into a dark room at night and that buzz is laying on the ground, you're like, whoa, what's going on here? Okay, so 
if I were Abram, I would have been done with that buzz. Jane certainly would have been done with that buzz. She's like very perfectionistic. I've been like, no, you're going to the garbage can. But he continued to play with his new toy, and he loved him a ton. He's like, even though you can't see me, I love you, Buzz. He made the most out of a situation. Let's go to the next picture here. We're even getting a haircut. There's Buzz. Okay, there's Buzz with Abram, and let's zoom up on Buzz. That, that's, some, that's some creepy, creepy stuff. But Abram didn't care. He's like, I love you. You love me. I don't care if you're really strange. We're buddies. So because he, he had this creepy buzz, me and Emily wanted to get him the legit buzz. Not that that buzz is not legit. We wanted to get that buzz. But, but there's like an official Disney buzz on Amazon. It's got all the bells and whistles. So, so for his third birthday, we got him like legit buzz. And this buzz like does not mess around, right? So like, pow. Oh, it's not working. Oh, how do you turn it on? This is important. Okay. Okay, it's on now. So like, pew, getting Jeff. Boo, got Victor in the back. This is legit. If, like, wait, come on. Oh, wait, what does it do? Red button. Boom. See, it flies. I got the other wing. There we go. See, this buzz is not messing around. It even talks. Let's see if we can get it in the microphone. Okay, like, this buzz is amazing. So because he had the exorcist buzz, we were able to get him, or we were compelled to get him a really good buzz. And now he has two buzzes. He's got the creepy buzz. It's like the old friend, but he's got the legit buzz as well. He made the most of an unfortunate circumstance and actually ended up turning out pretty good for him. Got two buzzes in the end. And when we face our own unfortunate circumstances, like Abram did with Buzz, we often allow the circumstances to affect our perspective. And we allow our circumstances to affect our faith in God. And for example, when God doesn't answer our prayers in the way that we want him to, we tend to get discouraged and think he's not interested in our lives. We're like, okay, if God didn't answer my prayer in the exact way I wanted him to, he must not really care that much about me. Or when we're faced with a sudden tragedy, we wonder if God is even there. And we tend to measure God's activity by how ideal our circumstances are. We're like, how ideal are my circumstances? Therefore, if they're ideal, therefore God's active in my life. If they're not ideal, then God must have forgotten about me. And we struggle to see God's presence and purpose in our pain. But the testimony of Scripture tells us that it's often in our pain that God is nearest and most at work. He doesn't downplay our feelings. Hear me this morning. God doesn't say, just forget about your negative feelings, forget about your sadness or your fear or your frustration. He doesn't say to shove those, right? He doesn't want us to avoid those. However, he wants us to take heart, even in the midst of our, our sadness and pain, as he is committed to taking the hard things that happen in our lives and using them for good. He's a God who makes beauty out of ashes. And we see this specifically in the Old Testament story of Joseph. After going through a bunch of terrible things that ultimately led him to his destiny of becoming the prime minister of Egypt, crazy story, he said this to his brothers who had betrayed him so many years before. He says this in Genesis 50, verse 20. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that, that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So God used Joseph to help Egypt navigate through a famine, okay? So God used all the terrible things that happened, uh, or he ultimately used them for good. God took what Joseph's brothers meant for evil and turned them around for a holy purpose. And he still does this today. God is in the business of taking hard things and using them for good. I've seen this in my own life. I think about our struggle with infertility five years ago. We were concerned if we were ever gonna have kids, and now we got three going on four kids. I think about the struggles of church planting. So many elements of church planting just hurt a lot. It's really hard. But God used church planting to iron out some of the displeasing parts of my heart 
and to shape me into the man that he's called me to be. I think about the mistakes I've made in my life. I've made mistakes. I continue to make mistakes. But the, the thing I've seen is while Jesus never wants us to sin, that's not his will for our life, he does use our sins at times. He, he somehow finds a way to use them for good. And for me specifically, they've humbled me, right? It's like, it's like when I get most prideful, God's like, okay, I'm going to let you struggle a little bit and see how you do without my hand on your life, right? And it humbles me, but also our sin and mistakes can become testimonies of God's goodness and grace, right? So because the fact that, that, that God could, could forgive us even at our worst, it's a testimony to other people. Uh, the Lord has a way of taking the hard stuff of life and using it for good. And we see this in the Apostle Paul's story. Before coming to faith in Christ, he murdered Christians. So if you haven't murdered Christians in here this morning, you're doing okay compared to the Apostle Paul, right? So he murdered Christians. However, after Jesus saved him, Jesus called him to help lead the early church and start local churches all over the Greco or the Greco-Roman world. As Paul shared the gospel or the good news with people who were far from God, he was able to point to what God did in his own life. He's like, if God could save me, the worst of sinners, he can save you. He was able to be an example of what God could do. God took Paul's evil and somehow used it for good. Paul experienced what Joseph experienced so many centuries before. God made beauty out of Paul's ashes. And now when he's writing to the Philippians, he's in prison and he's facing some dire circumstances. However, somehow he's able to be confident in God's good plans even in the midst of his imprisonment. He's confident that God is somehow using it for good. He says this in verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Okay, so Paul believed that God was using his chains for good. They were being used for the advancement of the gospel. And the word for advance is a vivid word in the Greek language, which is the original language of the New Testament. It's this word, prokope. Okay, so it's a word that was often used for the advancement of an army. Uh, specifically, they would use it to refer to the cutting away of trees and removing of bar barriers that would hinder the progress of an army. So Paul says that instead of his imprisonment being like this brick wall preventing the advance of the gospel, instead of that, it was more like a bulldozer clearing the way for the gospel. It was helping the gospel to forcefully advance. And this shows us an important principle. The gospel advances even in the midst of obstacles. The gospel advances even in the midst of obstacles. Oftentimes, when the church faces obstacles, the gospel actually advances more rapidly and expansively. And when the culture seems hopeless, that's when revival sweeps in most powerfully. The work of God is not dip or dictated by human circumstances or human obstacles. In verse 13 and 14, he explains specifically how God was using his imprisonment for the advancement of the gospel. Let's look at verse 13 specifically. He says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Okay, so Paul's imprisonment, it advanced the gospel by giving him an opportunity to share the gospel with the imperial guard. Okay, the imperial or the imperial guard was an elite group of about 10,000 Roman soldiers who served as like the special bodyguard of the emperor. And they often exerted control over the Roman Empire. They would actually, at times, they would get rid of emperors if they didn't like them and then promote other emperors. These were a, or this was a powerful group. And despite their power and stature, Paul was not intimidated by them. I love Paul. 
He's like, no one's going to intimidate me. He's a crazy man, right? He's kind of like exorcist buzz. Anyways, he would have likely, so Paul, he would have likely been, been chained. So, so get this. He would have been chained to a rotation of Roman soldiers. They would chain Paul to another soldier so he couldn't get away. They would sit there and be in close proximity. The soldiers would rotate through and, and sit by Paul. And in this intimate proximity of sitting right next to Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, Paul shares the gospel with them one by one. He boldly told him, he says, I serve a king named Jesus from the backwood town, or the backwoods town of Nazareth. And this king is actually a higher power than Caesar. He's saying, you may think the emperor is the highest power. No, 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 Jesus of Nazareth, he's the highest power. He died on a cross for the sins of the world. And then he rose from the grave. He was dead, and he came back up out of the grave. And now he sits at the right hand of God. Think about how crazy Paul seems. He sits at the right hand of God, and he is the, and he's the son of God. He, he's above all the earthly powers in this world. He's over Caesar himself. And all who trust in Jesus of Nazareth, all who trust him will be saved from their sins and spend eternity with God. He's proclaiming that to these uh, soldiers, to these tough soldiers. Paul was not afraid to challenge uh, Caesar's lordship. He was not afraid to challenge it to the people who protected Caesar's power. He's sitting right in their face. He's like, you gotta listen to me. You're chained to me. You're stuck here. And imagine how subversive that would have sounded to these soldiers. Wow, this dude, he ain't backing down. His imprisonment, it seems so tragic, but actually, it was a divine appointment. It was a divine appointment to, or to infiltrate the Roman Empire and to share the gospel with the most powerful army in the world. Okay, this wasn't all, though. Paul's imprisonment had also advanced the gospel by giving other believers boldness. It says this in verse 14, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Okay, his brothers and sisters in Christ became more bold because of his courage in the midst of adversity. He set an example of fearless gospel preaching in the midst of danger. As one commentator said, the chained... Paul inspired the unchained. As other believers heard that Paul was advancing the gospel, even in chains, they couldn't help but be, or be more bold. His courage was contagious. It encouraged them to take a public stand for Christ and open their mouths despite the consequences. And this no doubt gave the Philippians courage as they were living out the gospel in a hostile city who was intensely loyal to Caesar. This gave them courage. Paul's contagious courage reminds me of the English church reformers, Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley. It reminds me of when they were burned at the stake. This is what, what Latimer said. He said, be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in, in England as I trust shall never be put out. Okay, they're about to be burned alive, and Hugh's looking over at Ridley saying, like, this is gonna be used to advance the gospel. It's gonna give people boldness. It's gonna light a candle that just won't be able to be, uh, be put out. Okay, so their ability to suffer with boldness encouraged uh, generations of Christians to proclaim the gospel without fear. Okay, the advance of the gospel in the midst of Paul's change, it tells us an important truth. The gospel advances even in the midst of resistance. Okay, so gospel resistance often leads to gospel advancement. And when we experience resistance, and 
and pushback in our sharing of the gospel, we can take heart that the gospel can still advance. God can advance the gospel even though you might have some internal resistance. You might be afraid, you might be nervous about how to have the right words or what to say, but God can use your words, even if they're weak and not eloquent, he can use them to still forcefully advance the gospel. Or if you're facing external resistance from people who don't want to receive the gospel, God can can still use that in people's lives, even, even if you can't see it in the moment. And he can use your boldness in the midst of fear to give other people courage. It's not our job to, or to minimize resistance, but it's just to be faithful in our sharing of the gospel. Okay, so later on in our text, we see that the, we see that the gospel advanced in the midst of another obstacle. It says this in verse 15 through 17. It says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and robbery, but others from goodwill, and the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Okay, so Paul says that his imprisonment is somehow, it encouraged the, the preaching of the gospel in two ways. Okay, so some preached from goodwill. They loved Paul, and they wanted to advance the gospel even while he was in prison. They, they wanted to take up his mantle of gospel preaching and defend it while he was chained. It, it, it pushed them forward in that way. His courage in prison inspired them to preach the gospel uh, with boldness. But, but there was also another group that was encouraged to preach more by Paul's imprisonment. And this group was encouraged out of envy and rivalry. Okay, they preached out of impure motives. It seems that some preachers viewed Paul's imprisonment as a way to advance themselves over Paul and increase their influence. As he was chained, they could get a leg up over Paul in their ministry. His loss was their gain. And this kind of selfish ambition, it surely hurt Paul, but he tried to look past his own hurt and rejoice that the gospel was still being preached. He says this in verse 18, what then, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ the king is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Okay, so it appears that the true gospel was still being preached as Paul boldly and forcefully confronted false teachers. He would not be like, hallelujah, if it was false teaching. No, he would forcefully confront false teachers and he's saying that, that Christ was being proclaimed. So, so the thing is, when it came down to it, he just didn't care about his own name or influence. He just cared about the gospel going forward. He just wanted Jesus preached and trusted God to deal with the hearts of the ones, pre- of the ones preaching. And this shows us that the gospel advances not only in the midst of the obstacle of resistance in less than ideal circumstances, but it also advances through flawed preachers. Okay, the gospel advances even with flawed messengers. The gospel can advance even when the hearts of those preaching aren't 100% pure. God uses imperfect humans to accomplish his purposes. In the past couple of years, we've heard about quite a few flawed messengers, haven't we? I don't know if you pay attention to like Christian news and stuff like that, but there's like, I feel like every week, it's like a new preacher falling. And some of the most well-known communicators of the gospel in the past decade have, have been found out to have secret lives of sin including Ravi Zacharias and Carl Lentz of Hillsong Church in New York City. If you don't know the stories, essentially, again, despite having a ton of perceived fruit in their ministry, there was some, some, some terrible secret sin in their lives. Now, I've always personally struggled with Carl Lentz, I'll just be honest. And specifically, even before the stuff came out. I'm not here to throw stones at Carl, but I struggled with his ministry style and with his public persona. 
He was just a guy I didn't really care for. But there's a funny story. We actually got in a fight on Twitter when I was like 18. I picked a fight with him. He, he fought back with me. It was fun. It was a good time. I, I'll, I'll spare you the details. If you want to know, we talk about it in private. But, uh, but anyways, uh, okay, despite all that, despite Carl fighting with me, little kid on Twitter, and despite my, my distaste for his ministry style, despite that, God used Carl powerfully in my life in 2019. Okay, so this is seven years after our Twitter fight, and this is even when all the stuff's going on in his life, terrible things. I was really struggling with anxiety. I was really having a bout with it. And I've had bouts of anxiety kind of peri- periodically throughout my life, and, and this was the summer of 2019, and I stumbled across a message on, his YouTube, or on the Hillsong YouTube channel called Peace in My Pocket that he preached. It's about the peace of God. And I don't know how to explain it, but as I watched that message, God set me free of anxiety, and I haven't experienced it since. Like through Carl's preaching, he has a secret life of sexual sin in this moment, and God's setting me free through his words. He was, uh, was truly anointed. I'm deeply grateful for, the, or grateful for that message, and I'm grateful for Carl's obedience to share that message. And what's strange, again, is he was living a double life as he shared it. But God used him to help me and to advance the gospel in my heart in that moment. The gospel can advance even with seriously flawed messengers. It's kind of a mystery. It's, it's like, what? That doesn't make a lot of sense. But I'm grateful for it because I know that I'm not perfect. I don't have any secret sin. Okay? Just be straight with you. <laughs> so, so hear me. But I'm not perfect, and you're not perfect, and yet the gospel will go forward in the midst of our imperfections. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. Okay, the fact that the gospel advances even in the midst of resistance and with flawed messengers, it shows us an important truth. Jesus cannot be stopped. Jesus can't lose. He's the undefeated one. And when all is said and done, his purposes will prevail in the world. Don't get me wrong, because we live in a sinful and fallen world, he has to navigate the obstacles caused by our rebellion and stupidity and by evil. You know, Jesus has to make his purposes work out in the midst of death, sin, and the devil. However, at the end of the day, he will win. In Romans 8, 28, it says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. In Proverbs 19, it says, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Jesus will work out everything for the good of those who love him and his purposes will stand. His plans are not up to chance. Okay, so while we have free will and the Lord does not meticulously control every element of the universe, he will carry out his work in his church and advance the gospel even in the midst of unlikely and unfortunate circumstances. And and this reminds me of what Paul just said in verse six, last week we looked at this. He said, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Okay, so despite our struggles and our setbacks, the Lord will help us love him and become like him as we lean into him, even in the midst of our flaws. He, He will build his church and not even the bowels of hell can prevent its advancement. I think of what Jesus said to Peter in Matthew chapter 16. He said, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, the guy who will deny Jesus three times, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus will fulfill his plans for his people and the world and the gates of hell do not stand a chance against the church. 
If this is true, then we should have great confidence, right? We should have some holy confidence. We should have gospel confidence. And I think we can have confidence in at least two areas. And the first is this. We should have confidence or can have confidence in our sharing of the gospel. Because Jesus cannot be stopped, we can confidently share the gospel. Okay, the gospel, hear me this morning, it, it does not advance through our abilities or charisma or, strug- or strategies. It doesn't advance because we know all the right things to say or live perfect lives. It advances because Jesus is ferociously committed to building his church and pushing back hell. It's not up to us to change hearts, but it's up to him. He loves those who don't know him more than we do. And all we must do is simply be obedient in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in and share what Jesus has done, trusting that the gospel seeds that are planted will grow. And we must share that he defeated death, sin, hell, and the grave through his death and resurrection. We must share how he forgave us at our worst and, and how he came down and touched us in our mess. And if we don't know what to say, we can have confidence that the Holy Spirit of God will speak through us. In Luke chapter 12, it says, and when they bring you before, this is Jesus encouraging his disciples, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Okay, we must simply keep our eyes open for opportunities and be ready to open our mouths when the opportunities come. God is more concerned about the gospel than you are. He's more concerned about the gospel going forward than this church is, right? He is more concerned about it. And because of that, we can have confidence when we share. The the spirit of God and the word of God cannot be chained by circumstances in this world. In 2 Timothy 2.9, Paul says this when he's in prison. He says, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Woo, come on, buddy. Let's go, come on. You gotta get excited this morning or what? The word of God is not bound. It can't be chained, right? It can't be stopped. Jesus, the king, he cannot be stopped. Simply speak and let the word of God do what the word of God does. Because Jesus cannot be stopped, we can share the gospel with confidence, but that's not it. Uh, There's another thing as well. Because Jesus cannot be stopped, we can confidently trust his work in us. Just as Jesus loves people and is more concerned about the gospel than we are, he's also more concerned about having his way in our lives than we are concerned about him having his way in our lives. He is dead set on fulfilling his purposes for us. He is fixated on it. He wants to fulfill his purposes in you more than you want him to fulfill his purposes in you. Right, you're always wondering, oh, what's God's will for my life? Trust me, he wants to work it out. He's putting all the stuff in your life to help get you there. You don't need to worry so much about it. He is fixated on it as long as you lean into him, abide in him, and let him direct you. He's committed to taking all the stuff of our lives, the good and the terrible, and working it out for our good. Okay, so this should give us profound confidence this morning. As we face obstacles, as things don't go the way we want them to, as we fail to measure up and miss the mark, we can have confidence that the God of the heavens is at work. The unstoppable God is working out his plans in us. All we must do is keep our eyes up on him and not on the mountain and trust him. And we must refuse to get bogged down by our circumstances, but to keep our eyes on him, trusting that he's always up to something good. 
And we must not look at the chains on our wrists, but to the God who cannot be chained. He will fulfill his plans for us as we lean into him and allow him to have his way. As we celebrate Father's Day today, I always like to give at least a little bit for Father's Day and Mother's Day, right? A little application point. So as we celebrate Father's Day today, I think that this word is especially relevant for the dads in this room. I know as a dad, I'm often tempted or tempted to look at my weaknesses. I'm tempted to get down on myself and frustrated at my mistakes in parenting, which I make many of them. I hope it's less tomorrow than it was yesterday and gets better and better, but I make mistakes. I'm tempted to wonder if I'm screwing my kids up my kids are really young right now. I'm like, am I screwing this one up? Please help me, Lord. Please help that not to affect him. Please, please, I pray that, that, that Jane doesn't sit with a pastor in her 20s and be like, yeah, my dad. When he, when he got grumpy at me when I was five it just, or four, it just really did me in, right? <laughs> I probably am screwing them up in some ways, honestly. Let's just be real about it, but I'm trying my best not to. But, but maybe for you, your kids are growing up already and you have some regrets you feel shame about it. You feel shame about how you parented or how you were absent. Take heart this morning. Take heart. While our actions do have consequences, the reality is the unstoppable nature of God and his work in us should give us some confidence. Even though we mess up, God can work even in our mess. He's more committed to our children than we are. It's not up to us to be perfect, and we can't change the past for those whose kids are grown. But we must trust God, even in the midst of our failures. Our job, okay, so here's the thing. Our job is to make amends when we screw up. Dads, if you haven't learned the art of repentance yet, learn it. You don't have to always be right. There's more power, I think, in coming back to your kids and asking for forgiveness than being perfect all the time. And even for adult dads, and, or for dads in this room who have adult children, make amends. If you messed up in a way, make amends. Go back. I believe restoration is possible. So yes, it is our job to repent. It's our job to commit to doing better in the future and, and trying to work that out in our lives. And we must stay connected to our Heavenly Father. We must let him mold us and correct us and use us. It's up to us to do all those things. But at the end of the day, the purposes of the Lord will stand. God loves our kids more than we do. And he is a better dad than we are. And he will work out his will for their lives. Have a trusting confidence this morning, dads. He does not fail. Even though you do, he does not. Come on, somebody. All right. So the main idea this morning is this. The unstoppable advance of the gospel should give us great confidence, simply put. In every area, but, but the unstoppable advance of the gospel should just help us to be confident people. Right, seeing this example, Paul's in prison. He's going through it, and somehow he saw joy, or he found joy in that circumstance. He saw how God was working in that circumstance. His example should give us great confidence. As I shared before my message, our church is headed into a new season. As Pastor Lexi is stepping off the team in two weeks, and, and Kennedy is taking the reins, I want to give a little more background about the story as it applies really well to my message. I met Kennedy just over five years ago now, on June 7th of 2018, at the freshman orientation at UNI. I really did not like freshman orientation at UNI. I sent you what it is, so I'm a grown man. There's freshman students, they walk by your, your booth, and you're like, hey, please come to Chi Alpha. 
And I'll just be honest, it's gotten a lot better. But back then, Kyle was like the unknown ministry on campus. We're kind of like the, like the step sibling of the campus ministries. Like, what is Chi Alpha? Chi Alpha? Whatever, you know? So it just like wasn't easy to rep Chi Alpha. Uh, but I just didn't like summer orientation. So oftentimes I'd find students to do it just because I felt really weird. I'm like older than them and I'm the pastor. I'm like this weird. But on this particular, I'm not sure what day it was, but on this particular day, uh, we couldn't find anyone to do summer orientation. And I had another student that was a guy that was gonna do it with me, but we didn't have any female students uh, to help do summer orientation. And I journaled this that morning. I'll just read it to you guys. I said, today I'm working summer orientation. I'm a little nervous that we won't connect at all of, uh, with the ladies as we didn't have any ladies helping us. I'm also just nervous in general because I haven't done this in a while. Holy Spirit, we need your empowerment and help. Please anoint us to meet the students we need to meet. Please help us form connections today that will powerfully impact these freshmen's these freshman lives and also impact our group for the better. Bring us Isabels and Laurens and Johns. Help us do what we need to do. Those were student leaders at the time in Kyle, those names at the end. Okay, so at the summer orientation, God moved powerfully. So first, Avery Peterson comes waltzing by. Is Avery Peterson in here, right? or Avery Ruckty, is she in here right now? She's serving, oh, she's back there. She's in the kids, okay, so anyways, Avery Peterson's now married to, or to Noah. Okay, you all know Noah, right? He was just up here. Okay, she's married to Noah, but at this point, she's a freshman, and I met her first and, and had a good chat, and she said she would check us out. It took a while, but she eventually joined Kyle, got married, and now she's stuck with us forever. But, uh, <laughs> so, uh, Okay, so I'm about to tear down. So it's at the end of orientation. I'm about to tear down. I'm like, okay, that was pretty awesome. I met Avery today. She seemed kind of interested. Maybe she's trying to make me feel good, but it was great. Tearing down, and then Kennedy Lewis starts running across the library. Don't go anywhere. Stay. I want to talk to you. Kyle, I want to talk to you. I'm like, this is the first time this has ever happened. Someone wants to talk to us. And she comes, and she tells me that she met Lauren Schaff on a tour at UNI a few months prior. And Lauren had told her about Chi Alpha and that she was really looking forward to connecting with Chi Alpha. Uh, so we had a great conversation and she said that she would, would come and be a part of it. And I journaled this on the 8th. I said, yesterday, summer orientation was incredible. I met Kennedy Lewis, a girl that, you know, that Lauren Schaff connected with at a visit day. And also Avery Peterson, a girl from New Hope. It's a partner church of ours. Uh, Jesus, please help them connect in our community. So Jesus, I think he answered that prayer. As <laughs> those two have been pivotal members of our community. And now Noah or Kennedy and Noah, who's Avery's husband, are serving on staff with our church, right? Our kids and our youth pastors. What if I would have known that then? I'd be like, holy smokes, God, wow. What if I had known that? That didn't happen. I didn't hardly meet anyone who wanted to come to Kyle at summer orientation, but that day, two future staff members came through the orientation booth and I didn't want to go. Come on, somebody. That's how God works. Come on. He's up to something good, right? He's working everything out. I love watching him do it. It's crazy too, Kennedy told me when I shared this story with her a couple days ago, uh, she told me, she's like, actually part of the reason I came to Kyle was the fact that you were there, that I got to meet the pastor. That was big for me, meeting the pastor. God wanted the pastor to do some orientation that day, I guess. <laughs> Come on. All right, so fast forward to January this year, Lexi comes into my office, she's like, hey, I'm feeling called to do daycare. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm smiling, I'm like, it'll be good. I just want God's will for your life. I'm thinking, uh, <laughs> it'll be great. <laughs> hey, we're already adding a couple of team members this year. But yeah, let's do another transition. This sounds great. I'm, I'm kidding. But uh, so I'm kind of nervous about it. And then, so, so Kennedy has no idea about this. She has no clue. We kept it under wraps. We did not talk to people about it. And God begins to come to Kennedy about kids ministry. She never felt called to kids ministry. 
had never had the desire to do it. She felt called to campus ministry. The Holy Spirit begins to speak to her, Kennedy, I'm raising you up for kids ministry. And she's thinking, there's no spot for kids ministry at Sand Church. Do I have to go somewhere else? God prepares her heart. By the time I come to her, God's already prepared her for it. That's how God does stuff. Come on, somebody. Woo! He's working everything out. Man, I'm excited for Lexi's daycare, too. I'm taking my kids there. If you got kids, you better take them to Lexi's daycare. It's going to be good, right? God is doing so many good things. I share all this to say that, that something that seemed like an obstacle in 2018, I'm not having a female student to work summer orientation, God used for gospel advancement, okay? And also something that seemed like an obstacle, Lexi stepping down, God is going to use for gospel advancement as Kennedy gets to step into her calling and Lexi gets to do the daycare and minister to families in the Cedar Valley through the daycare. Jesus cannot be stopped. He will win. He will win. He's working all things out. His gospel is advancing both in the world and in our lives despite the obstacles. In the most vivid place, we see the unstoppable advance of the gospel is on the cross. On the cross, the Son of God, the undefeated one, the Messiah, he seemed to be defeated. He had no breath in his lungs. He was dead. And yet God used his death. God used the most evil thing that's ever happened, the Son of God on a tree. He, he used his death to pay the debt of our sins. And then three days later, he came up out of the grave declaring death, sin, and hell defeated forever. And now all who trust in this Messiah, the unstoppable God, can receive eternal life. They can have their sins paid for, enter into the kingdom of God, and experience eternity with God. God used the worst thing that ever happened for good. Okay, with that in mind, if you haven't trusted Jesus as king yet, today is your day. Get right with him. Let him pay for your sins and welcome you into new life. Or if you've already trusted in Jesus, but things are going kind of tough for you, you're going through a hard circumstance, get your eyes off of what's in front of you and get them on him. He can use your situation for good. He can work in the midst of your mess. Nothing's wasted in God's kingdom. Here's the thing, if you've hurt someone, he can use that to teach you the power of repentance and humility. If you've been hurt, he can use that to teach you about his forgiveness of you, right? His forgiveness for you. He can, he can teach you about that through that hurt. If you've lost a loved one or you're struggling with your health, he can use that to draw you into more dependence on him. If you're struggling financially, he can use it to teach you about stewardship and generosity and trust. I can go on and on. Get your eyes off the mountain of pain and get them on the God who redeems the pain. Finally, allow the truth that Jesus cannot be stopped to give you confidence in the midst of your weakness. God can use you to advance the gospel despite your personality. You may think you're quiet or shy or introverted. God can use you. Don't let the enemy tell you that God can't use you. God can use you. Just open your mouth. He'll speak through you. All right, maybe some of you this morning, I just sense this, and I don't know for sure, but I just sense that, that maybe there's someone who's feeling a call to full-time ministry this morning, but, or, but you say, hey, I don't got it. I don't got what it takes. I don't got the charisma for it. God can use you. God uses the weakest of vessels to accomplish his purposes, right? God takes the most timid of people and makes them into bold gospel preachers. So maybe that's for someone this morning. I don't know. But the point is, God, he's working even in the midst of our chains. 
All we gotta do is be obedient and trust him to do his work. He's empowering you in the midst of your flaws. He's God and we are not. And that should be profoundly comforting this morning. All right, let's stand to our feet all across this room. Come on, somebody. We're about to have a praise party in here. I can sense it. The altars are open. I, I wanna see you come to the altar this morning. If, if, if you need to, to come and get courage from the Lord or encouragement, if you're going through something, I wanna encourage you, the altars are open. The prayer team's also gonna come up now. They'll be available to pray with you specifically. But the whole goal of this morning is to get our eyes on the unstoppable God. Get our eyes on the unstoppable God. If we can be a people who keep our eyes on God, everything can change. Here's the thing, we won't throw in the towel in the midst of resistance. We won't back down when we face resistance. And we won't lose heart when we fail and when other people fail. And we'll be able to have great confidence in our sharing of the gospel and in God's work in us despite our setbacks. And we'll keep pressing forward no matter what happens. And we'll have the grit and the perseverance to keep going even when things are hard. And here's the thing, when that happens, the gospel will continue to forcefully advance and take ground devil in hell will be pushed back. Let's pray this morning. We're going to pray that God would give us that perspective. So Lord, right now, I pray across this room that you would just give us perspective. Lord, help us to see you, to see what you're doing. God, help us to see you, the God who sees us, and, and, and to see what you're doing in the midst of our mess, in the midst of our struggle. God, give us courage this morning in the midst of our resistance. Give us, give us faith. Give us boldness, God. God, I pray that this church would not be people who's perfect or who has all the talents and abilities, but instead of people who are faithful and trust you to build your church and to do your thing, even in the midst of our setbacks. God, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Come on, somebody. The altars are open. Let's worship the Lord. Come on. Come on. Come on. Let's go. Come on. You ready? Come on. Yeah.